continuing in our mini-series of a larger series as we look at the stories and the, the lives and the narratives of Old Testament characters. We are in Moses. This is our second week in our mini-series on the life of Moses, and we're going to be looking at how he is making excuses, essentially, for not living his call. But before we get there, I want to I share with you one of my favorite Christian comedians is named Trey Williams, and he makes a whole lot of really funny videos, but my favorite of all favorite comedic things that he does is this thing called Middle Schoolers Be Like, all right? And I want you to just watch this two-minute clip of these different aspects of how Trey acts like a middle schooler. So if you have ever been a middle schooler, if you've ever had a middle schooler, or if you've ever worked with middle schoolers, I'm sure that you will have a good laugh this morning because these things are oh so true of middle schoolers. All right. Yeah, that's really funny. I, I've experienced those in my life. As a middle schooler, I did those things. It, who, who acted like that sometimes? Yeah, yeah, right? It's okay to confess those things, right? Uh, but here, here we see this really funny narrative of a middle schooler who's making excuses. Take out the trash. No, uh, the pillow fell. I didn't do it. He literally threw it at his sister, right? And, and one of the things that I love about this is when I look at the story of Moses, 
Moses, in the passage that we're going to read, is acting like a middle schooler. He's making excuse after excuse after excuse. And remember, Moses wrote this. And so it would probably be embarrassing as he's writing these things down like, oh, I did say that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I did that. (laughs) It's almost like a journal of his weird excuses. But Moses is not alone in making excuses. God was calling Moses to a very specific call, a very specific thing that he is to live out in his life. And he made excuses. I think, and I know from my personal life, that I do the same thing and that we do the same thing. We make excuses when we know that God is giving us a call to our lives to either stop sinning or to do something very specific, to talk to a person about Jesus or to go to this job or go to this thing or apologize and forgive. All of those things we try to make excuses for, but we are to actually live the call. I've seen, as as I see with the middle schooler and even with the idea of Moses, that our disobedience is usually due to a lack of desire. Our disobedience is not because we accidentally fell into disobedience. It's not because, you know, we somehow stumbled accidentally, but it is a purposeful act of disobedience. We We don't have the desire to walk in obedience, and so we walk in disobedience. God has a call on our lives. Moses, like us, found ways to try and make excuses. But he also, through his negative example, gives us five ways that we can walk in our calling. How can we live the call that God has put upon our lives? Moses' negative example gives us five really good aspects that we could follow. But if you are following with us in our series, we can go back really quickly to the background of Moses, where Moses was a baby. He was saved from death. He was found by Pharaoh's daughter. He, for 40 years, lived in Pharaoh's family. He was educated as one of the top people of, of Egypt, and he walked in the reality of his royalty. Then one day as he had something pop into his mind to see the people of Israel because he knew he was an Israelite, he goes out and he sees an Egyptian slaveholder beating one of his people. He kills the Egyptian uh, slaveholder and he then runs into the desert because it was found out. So that's kind of where we pick up in his life. This is 40 years after he ran into the desert and we see in Exodus 3, this portion of his life. And the very first thing that we can see in Moses' life, and we'll read the passage that that really anchors this point, but the first thing that we can see in the life of Moses to live our call is that we need to recognize that the presence of the Lord defines our identity. The presence of the Lord defines our identity, and here's why I say that. Exodus chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. Exodus 3, 9 through 12. And now behold, this is God talking to Moses, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He, that's God, said, 
but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The presence of the Lord defines our identity. Here, Moses, as he is seeing a burning bush that is not consumed, as he goes to the burning bush in curiosity and God's voice speaks out from the bush, as he says, this is holy ground, take off your shoes. And we remember last week that he hid his face in shame. For 40 years, he walked in this issue of his identity and he always walked in his identity of shame. For 40 years, he walked in this identity. And he, remember, for 40 years was educated in Pharaoh's house. He had the best education. He was powerful in word and speech. We see in Stephen's speech to those who were about to stone him when he talks about Moses. But here Moses steps back and he says, who am I? If you remember, 40 years prior, he began to believe that he was the deliverer. And he took it upon himself. That's why he killed the slave master. Because he thought, they'll know that I'm the one. As we saw in Stephen's speech last week. They'll know that I'm the one who's supposed to deliver them. This is who I am. But now, 40 years of the desert, he asks a question of identity. Who am I? How can I do that. Kaiser, a commentator, says this, Moses had serious doubts about his qualifications. And I don't think it was the serious doubts of, of, of his qualifications because he didn't have the right education. I believe that he began to have a deteriorating idea of who he was for 40 years. That's a long time to walk in shame. That's a long time to not speak to the Lord because I, I doubt that he did. I think that like Adam and Eve, he hid. And here God comes to him and speaks to him from a bush. You see, I think we try to find our identity in so many different things. Our job, our wealth, our spouses, whatever it may be. And Moses found his identity in something other than the presence of the Lord. And God says very specifically, I will be with you. I am the one who defines your identity. I am the one who will be with you that identifies you as a follower of me. I will be the definition of your identity. How often do we find our identities in Him? Living in His presence, being defined by who we are through who He is. Through who He is. I think Moses also came to a place where he recognized he couldn't do it on his own because when he tried, he failed. And the desert taught him some stories, some realities of his life. The desert will often humble us and show us our own inadequacies. Our own inadequacies. We, we can't do it on our own. I think as a, a person who walks this earth, many times I believe that I can do things in my own power. We're consistently told in the West that we can make our own way, that we, if we just tie up our bootstraps, we can make it through anything, that if we just believe, we can do it. 
Believe in yourself. Man, I'm a mess. If you look at what Scripture says about who I am, a sinner, a person who is broken without the, the grace of Jesus, I, I can't trust my broken self. None of us can. Because we're born into a sin, sinful nature. And we cannot walk in that and expect good results. So when we come to the place where we recognize we can't do it on our own, that is actually a great place for the Lord to begin to speak identity over us. God was saying to Moses, I qualify you. You cannot qualify yourself. You cannot qualify yourself. Swindoll says of this moment that this was not an invitation from the Lord. It was a call. As children of God, we are chosen and we are called. We see this in 1 Peter, that we know that we have a specific call upon our lives. And whether you're thinking about a job or whatever, we see in Scripture that we are to be people who go and make disciples. That we are to, as Acts 1.8 says, be empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and make disciples of all nations. That we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to go and preach the good news of the gospel with our mouths and with our lives. No matter what, what job you're called to, no matter what else you think about calling, the scripture is very specific about every believer's call to go into the world and make disciples. That is what we're called to do. We cannot do that in our own power, however, and that is why Acts 1.8 tells us how we receive the power. I don't know if you know, but this is Pentecost Sunday. This is the Sunday where we reflect and remember that this Holy Spirit that we are told of, that He is the one who brings us power to do what we are called to do. The presence of God defines our identity. We must stop trying to identify ourselves as anything else. We cannot identify ourselves as a Christian and Missionary Alliance person or a Reformed person or a Calvinist or an Arminian. It doesn't matter. Those things are not identifiers. The presence of God, the truth of the Holy Spirit living within us, saved by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, that is what identifies us. And when we walk in that identity, just like Moses did in the presence of God, eventually, after all of his excuses, he realizes who he is in the Lord. God rebuts the question of identity to Moses. He's like, listen, Moses, it doesn't matter really who you are because I'm with you, and that's what qualifies you. It doesn't matter what you've done. I will redeem you, and I will qualify you. You do not qualify yourself. Your education doesn't matter. Your past doesn't matter. I have redeemed it and brought it back, and I will qualify you. And the same is true of us. But Moses is really bold. I don't know how he had the gumption to do this, but after he questions his identity, he questions the identity of God. And the Lord answers, the Lord is, was, and always will be. Let's read the passage, Exodus 3, 13 through 14. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
Moses has the gumption to question God's identity. And if you remember, one of the things that I often say about the Christian life and the enemy seeking to derail us as believers, he will attack two things, and it's always the same story. He will try to attack your identity, and he will try to attack the identity of God. Here we see Moses falling into that very trap, and God says, I am, I will always be. The Lord is, was, and always will be. He was there at the very beginning, and he will be there at the very end. And he was there before the beginning because he's outside of time, and he will be there after the end because there is no time to him. He is outside of it. He is greater than time, greater than all things. And here he's like, you know what, Moses? I am has sent you. I will be with you, and I am the one. This powerful phrase. Now, you might be saying, how is that so strong? Here's the reality of Moses' history. Moses was in Egypt. Moses had a very specific understanding of the Egyptian gods. I don't believe that he worshipped them because I believe that he worshipped Yahweh, the I Am. I believe that he knew who he was and was an Israelite and went after the God of his father, Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, I did that out of order, but it doesn't matter. It's the same thing, right? But Moses knew who he was and understood who God was. But he also had a working knowledge of the Egyptian gods. And the Egyptian gods each had a name. And the name that they had defined their purpose. And so Ra was the god of the sun. And you could go on and on with all of the Egyptian gods and goddesses. And their name defined their identity. Their name defined their power. Their name defined their purpose. And so he says, okay, so I'm going to go to these people who are just full of this pantheon of gods. that have all these different names. They do all these different things. What's your name? What do I say to them? And God's answer when he says, I am, he's saying, I'm all of it. I have all the power. I have all the strength. I don't need to be called the God of the sun because I created the sun. I don't need to be God, the, the God of farming because I created the ability to farm. I'm the one who put it into you. I'm the one who developed all of it. He's saying, I am. If you have a question about what God are you, I am. So are you the God of the sun? I am. Are you the God of farming? I am. Are you the God of locusts? I am. Are you the God of love? I am. Are you the God of, of judgment? I am. Are you the God of wrath? Do you see what I'm saying? All he had to say was, I am. That's it. Any question they could ever ask me, I am. I'm all of it. Those gods, they're bums. I am the truth. Wow. Now, if Moses, if I were Moses, I'd be like... Whoa, okay, that was not seen by my foresight. How could I ever imagine that you would say such a thing? I get passionate about this because God is all things. But think about Moses' guts to ask him this question. The Lord is assuring Moses, I'm all of it. Swindoll gives us a good picture. He says, what God is saying, the only self-existent, infinite being in all of the universe is, has dispatched you, Moses. You represent him. I am has sent you. You go and tell them that. The God who holds all things together has the power to use even us. Moses asks about his identity. God gives his identity to Moses. And then Moses asks about God's identity. He gives him his own identity. 
And he says, listen, I can use you. You don't think you can be used, but I can, in fact, use you because I hold all things together. A.W. Tozer once said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do you see God as the great I am? Or do you think of God as something on the side? Do you see God as the great I am that covers over all things, your job, your wealth, your power, your prestige? Or do you, like Moses, sometimes put it on yourself? Or do you, like Moses, try and pick and choose pieces of God that make you feel a little bit good about life? God is the I am. God holds all things together. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. Who is God to you? One would think that these two answers together would make Moses shut his mouth and obey. Moses does not stop with the excuses. See, he's just like a middle schooler, constantly making these excuses. I was there once as a middle schooler. I am still like that in my life, making excuses. The third way he gives us to live the call through his negative example is to remember that when the Lord calls, he also empowers. When the Lord calls, he also empowers. Exodus 4, 1 through 12, I will read it because I think it's important as we look at Moses' excuses and we look at God's answers. Exodus 4, 1 through 12. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and became and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back into your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, <laughs> just making excuses, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. When the Lord calls, he also empowers. After he gives the Lord's name, the Lord gives him his name, how will they believe him, he asks. Okay, I'll give them the name, I am has sent me. Yes, you're all powerful. Yes, you're so great. Yes, you have all things held in your hand. But they'll say to me, it didn't really happen. So how do I prove it? And so God gives him displays of God's power. And he says, take the serpent. 
and grab it by the tail, becomes a staff again. And we see this, this whole thing that's happening with him and Moses. He's like, listen, you have no excuse. Because I'm with you, because you can be identified with me, because I am in control of all things, I will empower you. You can't do these things on your own. True. But I, in you, through you, can. Stop making excuses. Where I lead, I will empower you. I will give you what you need when you need it. Here we also see this truth that we are to give to God the gifts He has given to you and watch Him use you. Give to God the gifts He has given to you and watch Him use you. We see He asks the question, what is in your hand? What is in your hand? Now, you've often heard me say, open your hands and, and look at them, and they are empty. And that's because you bring nothing to the table. But God has given you and given me specific gifts that we can use for His glory. The gifts are true. They are for today. It's not for yesteryear. They are for now, because the Holy Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He has given you gifts, and we are to give those gifts back to Him and offer them to Him so that we can be used for His glory and for His honor and for His power. Not our own glory, not our own honor, not our own power. It says very specifically as Jesus talks to His disciples that the Holy Spirit will be the one who glorifies Jesus. He glorifies Christ through you and through me. We can stop making excuses because God will empower us. Look at what He did at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came and it changed everything. It changed everything. Stop making excuses. God desires to use you. God desires to use me. He will give you the power that you need. God is essentially saying to Moses, I have already given you everything you need. Believe in me and stop trying to believe in yourself. The fourth way he gives us to live our call from this passage as well is that the, to remember the Lord will fill us to overcome our frailty. The Lord will fill us to overcome our frailty. Moses comes before God after these things and then talks about his own fragility, saying, I can't even speak. I, I am slow of tongue. Now, I want you to just step back and look at this whole scenario for a moment. Moses and God are talking. What is Moses utilizing to push back against God? His mouth his mouth. He didn't stumble. It doesn't say that he stuttered as he was talking to God. It doesn't say that he was slow of tongue or slow of wit. He was very, very smart. He was powerful in speech and in word. And Stephen tells us that very thing in the scriptures in the book of Acts. He says that he was powerful in word and speech. Look it up in Acts 7. Moses was not frail in the sense that he was making an excuse. 
But God says, even if you think you're frail, because some commentators would say that during the desert, maybe he was so silent that he didn't talk for a long time, or maybe he did have a speech impediment that while he's talking with God, he received a moment of healing so he could speak to him. That doesn't matter what it is. If we think we're frail, which as humans we are, as we had said before, God can overcome our fragility. Our frailty is not a deterrent from, to God. If God is I am, and He's over all things, He can heal any brokenness that we have in our lives in order for us to be empowered to be used by Him. Moses is running out of excuses. He continues to try to make these excuses. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Prince of Egypt, but this portion of the Prince of Egypt is my absolute favorite moment. Because here he is making these excuses. And he's saying, I'm frail. I can't do it. And God has had enough. And he says, who made your mouth? Now, we don't see it in all caps. We do see an exclamation point. But in The Prince of Egypt, that movie, some of it's wrong. But this is so powerful. He, it, the, the, the fire flares up even bigger. And we hear this loud, booming voice <laughs> screaming, essentially, at Moses saying, Stop making excuses. I made your mouth. I can make it speak. I can make people deaf. I can make people smart. I can make people dumb. I am, and I will do it. I can do all things, Moses. Stop being a whiny baby and get to what I'm telling you to do. Okay. I'd be terrified. Moses, he was a very stubborn person. Have you ever been that way? Stubborn? Do you know anybody that's stubborn? Because I'm sure you're thinking, oh yeah, that person, they need to hear this message. We all do. We all need to hear this message. Essentially, God is saying, listen here, little man. I'm in charge. I made your mouth so I can use your mouth. We don't have to be uh, making excuses even now because Luke 12, 12 says this, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are to say. When God brings us into what we call a chirotic moment, a time, a season that he has brought together in his timing, in his purpose, and in his will, we will speak what He wants us to speak because the Holy Spirit will speak it through us. It doesn't matter how smart we are. Trust me, I'm not that smart. It doesn't matter how educated or uneducated we are. It does not matter because God can use our mouth. We walk in so much terror when we talk about God. We're like, oh, I just don't know enough. I can't talk to this person about Jesus. Man, yeah, you don't know enough. You'll never know enough. But the Holy Spirit knows it all. And He'll be the one to speak to you. We need to stop making excuses because the Lord will give us what we need when we need it. The Lord will give us what we need when we need it. Said another way that I've said this phrase often, where God guides, God provides. When He's leading us and directing us and we're walking in obedience, He will provide that which we need. Like I said, Moses gives us five ways to live out our calling. And the fifth way he gives us is to allow the Lord to change your heart. Allow the Lord to change your heart. Moses, after experiencing this moment of God rebuking him, saying, Who made your mouth? <laughs> Moses says this. 
But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Finally, finally, Moses confesses why he's making all of these excuses. It goes back to point number one. He did not want to. Please, I have no more excuses. Just send someone else. And what's funny about this is God says, okay, Aaron will be the mouthpiece. When you read the rest of Exodus, who does all the talking? Moses. What? Because eventually he realizes the truth of who he is and the God who goes with him. He made these excuses over and over and over again. We need to allow the Lord to change our hearts. If we don't have the desire to obey Him, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to birth the desire within us. I love how Tozer said this about his life. I do quote Tozer a lot. He is, God has used him to speak deeply to my life because I find myself in many of the pages that he writes. And he says, there are times where I don't want God. But I've found the power of the prayer of honesty and request. Where I pray, God, I don't want you. Help me to want to want you. And he said when he prays that prayer, his desires do change. Because the Holy Spirit loves to answer prayers like that. Moses began to change and he became the man that he was supposed to become. Because he began to believe that who God is defines who he is. And that God gives him the power to be the leader that he was called to be. But here he confesses he didn't want it. But God changed his heart. Listen, every excuse that we have, God can refute. You're not smarter than God. There's no argument that you can bring that he'll say, oh, I concede, yeah, I was really good. Man, I was wrong. (laughs) That's not true. Every excuse you can make, God will refute. He must live into our call. The world is dying, literally, for Jesus. They need him. Without him, we know what happens. Some people don't believe in a literal hell, but the Bible is very clear, and Jesus is the one who talks about it the most. Look at your Bible. Jesus talks about hell the most out of anyone. It's real. And God has sent us into the world as his ambassadors to be people who bring the light and speak the light. There are no excuses that we can make that God will admit that we're we're right. (laughs) We're to live the call that he has given to us. Give the call that he's given to us. One commentator says, Moses could think of no more good objections for God (laughs) 
and had met everyone point, point for point. So God's unwilling servant reveals his true heart. May we, if we have a lack of desire, ask for the desire. As believers were called, let us live out the calling he has for us. Let us today choose to allow his presence to define us. May we fully trust he is who he says he is. Let him do his job and may we be willing vessels for his power, for his glory, and for his honor. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you lavish upon your children. Father, may we walk in obedience. When we truly look at what you've done for us, those who have received you as our Lord and Savior, when we really step back and see the power of our salvation and our inability to save ourselves, it should create within us a passionate desire for obedience. I pray that we'll be rekindled and that we'll have a desire to do your will. May we give the gifts that you've given to us back to you and watch you use us. In your name. Amen.